welcome to this special episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I say special because it truly is an honor to host this raw and vulnerable conversation with the women I'm about to introduce you to. When Michelle Reyes asked me last week what I thought about hosting a roundtable discussion of Asian American women, of course I said yes, but with hesitation. Hesitation only because I didn't feel worthy of occupying this space with a group of ladies who I knew were emotionally drained and whose bodies were holding so much trauma from the last year, and particularly recent events. So I hope when you listen in on this conversation, you don't take for granted that they're allowing us to sit with them in this space and listen and learn from their voices. For this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Michelle Reyes, Grace P. Cho, Tasha June, and Darina Lazo Gilmore-Young, all accomplished Christian women who are leaders, writers, speakers, and published authors. Dr. Michelle Reyes is Vice President of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, and she shared her story on a past episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. In this conversation, each of these women share their voices and experiences on being an Asian American Christian woman and what that means, especially in this time of increased hate and violence aimed at Asian American bodies. We talk about the impact of being erased and silenced as Asian American women and how that has affected their lives as mothers, creatives, and leaders. They share what justice means for their community and what they need from the faith communities right now. We also discuss Christian nationalism, purity culture, and the stereotypes that have been placed on Asian American women that all play a role in this important conversation. So pull up a seat and listen in to this hard yet necessary conversation. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm just, um, I've told you this, but I just want to reiterate that I'm very grateful to have each of you here today. I know this is a hard conversation. It's a vulnerable conversation and it's a really raw time, especially for the Asian community. So I'm just honored that the four of you have allowed me to have a seat at the table. So thank you for that. Before we get started for our conversation, since my listeners don't know who I'm even talking to right now, um, mm-hmm. I have four guests with me and we're just going to go around and introduce ourselves. Michelle is going to start off and Michelle, you've been a guest on the Her Story Speaks podcast before, but would you just tell a little bit about yourself and where you live and what you do? Well, thanks for having us back, Andrea. Um, If your listeners don't know who we are, then they're going to know now. So (laughs) glad that we're here. Um, Yeah, I'm Michelle Mi Reyes. So my husband and I were church planters down in Austin, Texas. I'm second generation Indian American. um, And beyond vocational ministry, I'm also the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative and the co-executive director at PAX. And shameless plug, I have a book coming out next month called Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections across cultures, which it's it's sad uh, because of what is happening right now in our current cultural moment, but it is an incredibly timely book about how to love, uh, love other communities of color. And um, I think it's a book that is written for uh, minorities and, and majority alike, but I think it is timely for, for learning how to love the Asian American community right now. Yeah, it couldn't be a better time. Like you said, sad that it is, but... It is true. And Michelle, I have you to thank for organizing this roundtable 
discussion today. So thank you for the idea and thank you for getting this incredible group of ladies here today. Yeah, I'm excited. Andrina, would you like to share just a little bit about you? Thank you. Yes. Um, I am an author. My recent book that came out in the fall was Walk, Run, Soar, and I'm also a podcaster. I am a mama of three girls and a spoken word artist. I'm very passionate about helping women and men navigate grief and flourish in their God-given callings. And I think relevant for our conversation today is that I'm from a mixed race heritage. So my dad's family is predominantly Filipino, but also Chinese and Polynesian and Eastern Indian. And my mom's family is Italian and Jewish. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I was reading a little bit about your story um, and there's, there's a lot there. So that is just a real brief overview for sure. Thank you, Tasha. Yeah. Um, my name is Tasha June and I am a biracial Korean American storyteller and poet, um, mom of three, and I am in Indiana right now. So okay. happy to be here. Okay. And I read, I think it was on your website. It just caught my attention. It said, for the longest time, I lived life feeling lost between cultures, continents, translations, and dreams, as if I was always one impossible step away from where I was supposed to be. That's mm. just so, so powerful. So I hope I can have you back on at a later date to dive, <laughs> dive into that more. So thank you. Thank and you. then Grace. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm glad to be here with my friends and to be present as much in person as we can be right now um, to lament and grieve together. So I'm grateful for this space. I'm Grace. Grace Picho is my full name. I'm Korean American. Uh, I, I'm a writer, a speaker, um, editor, and most recently I'm calling myself a poet. Um, I think it was Michelle who first introduced me as a poet to somebody and I was so um, embarrassed that she did that, but um, I really see how God has been putting the cadence and rhythm or, or he's been developing the cadence and rhythm in my words. And so that's what I say I am. Um, I also lead leaders, mentoring them, um, coaching writers, and I really hope to see women of color's voices elevated both in the publishing industry and in the church. Yeah, okay. that's Thank me. you. Thank you. And you're going to... Uh start us off reading something that you wrote, but before you do, we want to just honor why we are here, especially this week, this today, and honor the women who's and men, who, who man whose lives was lost last week. So Grace, you are going to read through those names because as hopefully we've seen and heard this week, it's really important. Names are so important and saying names correctly is important. Mm -hmm. And we just want to start off by honoring these victims from last week's Atlanta shooting. Let's take a deep breath together and honor these women and men. Park Sun Jung, Kim Hyun Jung, Kim Sun Ja, Yu Yong E, Delena Ashley Young, Paul Andre Michelle, Tan Xiao Jie, Feng Dao Yu. And I hope when we hear those names that we realize just, although we don't know these people, that they are people created in the image of God. And it is a loss to all of us when a life is taken. None of us are flourishing when this is happening in our society, when racism, xenophobia, especially with have been heightened in the last year. And that's what I want you guys to talk about today. Just share your hearts where we're at 
what justice looks like, all of those things we're going to dive into. But before we do, Grace, we're going to hear from you a little bit more because you wrote a blog post almost exactly a year ago when COVID was starting to become on the scene more and more. And you wrote the blog post about what you were feeling then with the racism, the anti-Asian rhetoric that we were hearing. And you're going to read a little bit about that, or you're going to read a little bit of it because it's it's still just as powerful today. And a year later, we see where we're at. So if you would just start us off reading part of that, Grace. I can feel my voice getting louder as the white family passes us by, my words coming out more crisply and clearly than I normally would talk. I can't control the instinctual reaction of my body when there's even the slightest chance I might be perceived as one of them. I'm not other or foreign. I was born here in California. But with the way Asian Americans are being treated in light of COVID-19, I can't help but feel labeled as dirty, sick, a virus, the virus. I enunciate my words and speak just loudly enough to be heard because I want everyone who walks by and gives us even the slightest of second glances to know that I'm American, just like them. I want them to know that being Asian American doesn't make me more susceptible to getting sick. It's knowing this disease is being used against people who look like me that gets me sick. Asian Americans are being spat on, beaten down, and bullied. Asian restaurants are being avoided long before all non-essential businesses were being shut down. On top of the fear and stress we all carry concerning the health and safety of our loved ones, racism and violence against Asian American adds uh, Asian Americans adds another layer to the anxiety and we are weary. I used to find the tiniest bit of relief when quarantine meant staying home and avoiding the chance that my parents, my in-laws, my siblings, my children, my husband and I would avoid the chance of being the next victim of hatred and violence. But the former president set a path of anti-Asian sentiment when he'd refer to COVID as the Chinese virus or Kung flu. Words can be wielded for good or for harm and those were not neutral words. I find relief and solidarity as I hear more Asian Americans taking up space and speaking up about the impact this term is having. We share the collective toll this is taking on our souls but will others be able to see it too? Thank you. Thank you, Grace. And you go on with more powerful words and we will put the link to the rest of your blog post on the show notes. And I really encourage people to go to go read that. Encourage who you wrote this for will be re-releasing it um, this Saturday as well. So folks can go read all of your powerful words there. So as Grace said in that, um, you're all feeling it. And we, we all should be feeling it no matter the color of our skin. But because you are all Asian American women, you are especially feeling it. You're feeling this trauma through your bodies again that you've been feeling for the last year, but before the last year. I mean, this is not new in the United States, the anti-Asian racism, xenophobia, it's not new at all. But especially this last year, I know it's been heightened. So the first question we're gonna talk about is how has the invisibility erasure and being silenced as Asian Americans impacted your own lives, being a woman, a wife, a mom, a leader, a writer, creative, all of that, even before this incident, how, how has that affected? Tasha, would you like to start off and answer that question for us? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I've been reading Harry Potter with my middle, my middle guy and, um, we're in the part where they wear the invisibility cloak a lot. And it's, I think because of recent events and, really our whole lives, my whole life. Um, I have just been, you know, kind of reading that and thinking about how um, that is something that I haven't had to put on 
um, I think the message I've received my whole life, and I can't even think of one person who has said that Asian Americans are invisible um, growing up, but um, that I have believed and um, kind of just felt, you know, like it's so strong in our American culture, this idea that Asians are invisible and that it's okay to be treated as invisible, that um, it feels like a heavy cloak, like something that's really hard to take off. And um, so I know more recently, like within the last year and just since I have been more vocal publicly about um, racism as a whole, every time it's felt like I'm taking something off that I'm not supposed to take off um, and that I'm naked. Like it's so vulnerable, even though it's just a cloak and it wasn't supposed to be in there in the first place, you know, um, it feels wrong. And that, um, so that's just something that I think I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one have to fight against, like taking that off and standing up and um, being me as an Asian American woman, um, it feels very raw and very vulnerable. Um, and I almost feel like other people are trying to put it back on. So um, it's Harry Potter's on the mind because we've been reading it, but yeah, it, it hasn't been able to leave me just how heavy that, that feels all the time, so. Yeah, because I mean, the whole, the intersectionality of being a woman and an Asian American yeah. woman, um, makes that even more of a hard, like you just said, cloak to wear and to be seen and heard in the society. Mm -hmm. Darina or Grace, would you like to, to speak on that? Sure, yeah, I can definitely resonate with what Tasha shared. And I think for myself, because I come from a mixed race heritage too, that it's a bit nuanced um, because people don't always recognize me as being Asian American a lot of times we judge people by how they look or the shape of their eyes or those types of things. And so I often do a lot of code switching without mm -hmm. even realizing it's not something that I even was cognizant of until maybe a couple of years ago, um, because I do move through spaces that are predominantly white. And I only have been in um, Asian American circles more recently with sisters like these um, who celebrate that part of me. So I think for me, it feels emotionally exhausting a lot because I'm not sure exactly who's listening and who the audience is. Um, and then I think there's also that struggle with, well, am I an, an imposter in this space if I'm sharing about how heavy this is for me? And I think especially this year in the pandemic, um, it's held it's held a weightiness that was a little different too, because my husband, Sean is Chinese American. And so our family has also figured out, you know, that when we move as a family, it feels different than when I move as an individual or my daughters who each have a very different mixed look move in their own spaces. So I remember even when the pandemic started that my youngest um, came home from school in tears and, and she said, mom, is dad, does dad have COVID or like, mm -hmm. what's this coronavirus? Cause kids were talking about it at recess and she was very upset about it and she's my blonde. And so people don't necessarily recognize her as being Asian American, but she was very concerned for her dad because the boys were talking about how, if you're Chinese, you have this um, virus. And so that's something I've had to really navigate with my girls throughout this past year. 
Yeah. And we are reminded once again, how powerful words are and people last year when the president used those words and some people blew it off as no big deal, but it's a huge deal. And the incidents this last year, especially to Asian American women have just been, I don't know the actual statistics that you do probably Michelle, but tenfold about incidents that have been there in the past about the, the hate incidents. I mean, the Stop AAPI uh, Hate Reporting Center has reported now almost 4,000 instances of hate crimes against uh, Asians and Asian Americans since March of 2020. So just in 12 months. And the majority of those have been against Asian women. And so I think it's really important that people know that and understand that, um, as well as just, I think, it's important to also understand that this isn't like a an Anglo-Asian or like white Asian thing. I think the elephant in the room that is really, really hard to talk about is that a lot of the hate crimes that have been perpetuated against Asian Americans have been by other minorities, um, black and brown minorities. And, um, and so this is um, certainly a systemic issue, uh, but it's also something that isn't uh, localized to just one demographic. And that also um, just adds a, a, another layer to, 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 to um, what's needed to deconstruct this. And I just want to say, too, that what's been interesting is, is to hear the responses. So when I first got the news on Tuesday night about uh, the shooting, uh, and I, you know, I have like a chat group with Indian American women from around the country, and we started talking, and a lot of us started speaking up about it. And it was interesting to see the pushback the people were giving toward uh, Indians and Indian American women saying like, why are you say saying anything? Like, why do you care? Mm. Or, or you're like, you should be quiet because this, this doesn't affect you. There was even some conversations that I was like hearing about where people were thinking about, oh, should I invite Michelle to speak at this thing? And they're like, well, she's Indian. Is she Asian? <laughs> you know, like, does she count? Um, and I don't think they knew that I was in those private Facebook groups watching all these conversations um, mm -hmm. unfold. And so I think it's important to understand that like the reason why we're all lumped together as Asian Americans in the first place is because of um, exclusion and 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 like federal uh, immigration laws in our country that excluded all of us together. I mean, this is from the Chinese Exclusion Act to the Asiatic laws in the early 1900s that excluded all Asians from entry into the United States. It was, we're going to lump out these countries that included India. And this is how we became Asian, uh, Asian American, if you will, is because because of shared exclusion. And so being Asian isn't part of like my cultural DNA, but it's part of my shared oppression and marginalization yeah. with Chinese Americans, with Korean Americans, with Japanese Americans. And, you know, as soon as the shooting happened on Tuesday night, I immediately thought of in 2017 when two Indian when two Indian men were um, shot and killed in Kansas City by a white nationalist. And as he was shooting, he was screaming like, get out of my country and uh, all these sorts of things. And so Indians are also victims of, of these sorts of massacres by white nationalists. And so we understand that pain and that solidarity is there because of that shared pain and oppression. So um, it's complicated, but I think this is why you're seeing the entire Asian American community come out 
in solidarity because we all know we've all experienced this to some degree. I appreciate I'll- you sharing that, Michelle, especially the history there, because there's a lot and we could do several episodes just on that. But I think what you've brought up is very crucial and reminding us race is a sh- social construct. Grace, were you wanting to say something? Yeah, I was also going to say, you know, that we, we were talking right now about the intersectionality of being Asian American and then being a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in the spaces that we occupy, we need to talk about being a Christian, Asian American mm-hmm. woman, and what that means in the church and how much the church have has oppressed women by, um, by theology and ideology and praxis. And, um, and how, I mean, that's impacted me and how I see myself and my own value, the idea of being seen, but not heard. Um, Mm -hmm. but if, but those who are seen, um, are the pretty ones and are the ones that look a certain way, have a certain body, um, and therefore are desired. So it's the kind of being seen, like you're being seen like an object, Mm -hmm. which which was the core in a lot of ways of what happened in in Atlanta. And, you know, I made the mistake of seeing this morning a white woman who was saying like, you know, people are making too much of a deal that this was about race when it was really about, about, you know, the objectification of women. And I understand that as a white woman, that might not be her experience to be objectified in that way as an Asian American woman. But I think you're missing the point when you try to dissect us by saying you're an Asian American. Tell me what your experience is as an Asian American. Tell me what your experience is as a woman. Tell me what your experience is in the church. But to say, no, you cannot separate those identities um, and ask us to show up only in the way that you want us to show up. This is about the intersectionality of all those things and the impact of all those things on our lives and not just on our lives as mothers or wives or women in the church, but as creatives, as what does it mean to show up in our voices right now? I mean, even before getting on this call, we were talking about like, are we going to show our faces? What does that look like? And I I know that makes an impact. Mm -hmm. I know when I actually see the faces of Mm -hmm. Asian American women, it does something for my soul. And I don't think we give that enough credit to say like, this is all of who we are and you cannot, we will not allow you to separate those things and just call it, you know, no, it's actually about this angle. It's actually about his sex addiction. It's actually about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was a a churchgoer or like, no, it's all those things and how the impact of all the things have an impact on our actual bodies. Not just, um, I'm hurt in my heart and you can't see it. Like, like I could feel the tension in my body and also the having a meltdown and not really understanding initially. Why am I having a meltdown? There's there's nothing that was maybe personal about this other thing that triggered it, but recognizing, oh, it's the impact of all of that, of the patriarchy, of the misogyny, of the white supremacy and the objectification of women and the demonizing of women and then the dehumanizing of Asian American women and Asian American Christian women. So I wanted to bring that to light because it's so much, it's not just like uh, Michelle was saying, it's not a white and Asian thing. Even in this case, it's even in the Asian American churches that I've been a part of and how that is so much the view of women, whether we're saying that or not, whether mm-hmm. our theologies line up with that or not. It, we might say we're more um, progressive or we're, we're more open um, to women empowerment, women leadership, but the very vein that, that runs through, the blood that runs through our churches often is we are a patriarchal and hierarchical organization and it impacts women. I'm so glad you brought all of that up, Grace. I mean, yes, I'm reading right now 
Emily Joy is going to be my guest on the podcast next week and her book Purity or her book Me Too about the purity culture in the church and the white supremacy. I mean, it's it speaks directly to what you just said, and we see it so apparent and at play here. So I'm so glad that you brought all of that up. That kind of leads us into the next question about how has this recent news impacted you, impacted you, but maybe more than one level. So has the recent news impacted you on more than just one level? Whoever would like to start us off. So I know in your bodies, like last year, I think it was Darina, I saw a post that you said a restaurant in my own city hung a sign on its door warning people to stay at a distance until the quote Kung flu was over. So that's one level that you saw that last year and were probably just heartbroken and sick and all of those. But then here we are a, a year later and now this news. So I just maybe, Darina, would you mind starting us off just how, how that news hit you and perhaps more than one level? Yeah, um, I think definitely the physical and Grace kind of touched on this a little bit with talking about meltdowns and um, there's a trauma even in just hearing about something like this that I felt, I think Tuesday night, I read the news right before I got into bed with my husband and I just could feel my body shuddering. Um, it's a lot. I think that affects me um, as a wife and as a mother to three girls. It affects me as um, somebody who has experienced sexual assault in the past. Um, it affects me as an Asian American woman who's not always seen as such. And so those layers, we talk about intersectionality, those layers um, come together in just a heaviness which is not something that you just, you know, call up a friend and say, let me tell you about how heavy I'm feeling today, unless it's maybe somebody else who gets it. And I really appreciated that I had individual people who reached out to me um, in the past week who did recognize that that was going to be heavy for me. But I think even in my own family that people don't understand kind of like what Michelle was talking about before, that there's there's a solidarity for all of us in the Asian American community because of the oppression that we felt. And that oppression has not always been the same, but there's something that we can relate to. And as I think about even the history of the Filipino Americans in our country, you know, as they have been treated, um, it's like acceptable to do the work if you are a nurse, for example serving, especially during this time in the pandemic where our frontline workers are so important, but it, it's not acceptable, you know, if you're in a, in a different line of work. Thank you for that. Tasha, would you like to share what's on your heart with that question? It's heavy, I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like Darina, like when I first read the news, um, I tensed up and was shaking when I told my husband and it's like something you can't control and the body just communicates so much, you know, and after that day, um, and I know we've all talked us girls here um, over Voxer, but I mean, I just felt so much tension in my shoulders and just like, I could feel the rage. And then, I mean, the next day I just felt rage coursing through my body, which I don't know that I've ever been so aware of feeling just so much rage. Um, I wanted to break things, you know, and I went for a walk and I, I couldn't slow down. Like I wanted to go for a walk and just look outside, but I like could not slow my body down because it just felt like it was carrying me. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think to have a space where it was safe to like with other Asian American women where I could say that I, I want to break something that I feel angry, um, that I feel rage and not, not be ashamed for that. I think when we were talking about being Asian American women who have been stereotyped, you know, to, you know, be compliant or quiet. And then if you're not, you're stereotyped as like some crazy, angry, whatever. Um, like there's no just being a person, but I think having a place where, I could express that. And it was, it's a good response. It's a normal response. Um, that was healing. And that's been going on for a while. I think even before these events, like having a place where I can communicate that I feel rage and that I feel angry and that I'm grieving and I, I don't have to patch it up. Grace, if you would just share what's on your heart with that one. You know, I grew up thinking that cussing was so bad and that if I heard, you know, the F word, it would be so offensive. And the older I get, and honestly, the more mature I get in my faith, there are sometimes no words, but uh, cursing that embodies how we're feeling. And to that extreme, like to me, it feels extreme to, to want to, you know, cuss up a storm, but I think, you know, or like throwing things or, you know, being reckless and, I think it only goes to show like how much pain we're experiencing. And I know there's a lot of pushback when protests were happening last year um, of like, why do they have to uh, break into stores or, and I, I realized again, and even more in an embodied way of how anger, um, like why did Jesus flip tables in the temple? Uh, why couldn't he have just like gone up on a podium and commanded the attention of the crowd and say like, guys, this is not okay. <laughs> why did he flip tables and uh, braid together a rope um, to whip and break and demolish? Because it was so wrong. That's the answer. It was so wrong to do that to take advantage of others that he had to flip tables. And I think we read that and we read that in a sanitized way of like, um, yes, you know, Jesus is someone who turned the tables and, but it was that he was angry at the injustice that was happening. And so I, I think, especially in the Christian community and even with one another, we're more prone to want to police each other's reactions. Like what is the most Christian way or how do we do this well? I've heard that so much of like, I want to, you know, grieve well. I want to be angry well. Like, what does that even mean when being well is being whole and being whole means showing up fully? And that includes our anger and that includes coming out angry in our words and in our actions and, um, and calling out, calling out, um, ignorance and racism and all the other isms when they're happening, um, I think we get put down as like, that's not the correct way. That's not the Christian way. That's not the Asian American woman way. And if you were to meet me, like I probably sound, you know, on fire or, or angry and out because I am, and I'm also going to buy you coffee. Like I am all those things. I'm going to bring you food if you're not well, or if you just had a baby, but also I'm angry when injustice happens. And I think that is the Christ-like way. That's what I was going to say. That's Jesus. That's what he modeled for us, both both and of those things. With you saying about Jesus flipping tables, 
it's because he was a justice seeker. And that is what we as Jesus followers want to be. So that leads me into the next question about what what does justice look like right now for you, for your community? And I don't know, Grace, do you want to continue with that? And then we'll go back uh, to Darina. But since you brought up the justice and flipping tables, it's, um, and maybe it's too soon to say, I don't know, but just where, where are you with that? Because I saw Michelle make a post today to ask your, ask your Asian friends, what does justice look like right now for your community? Um, I don't know if I have a very nuanced answer right now, but um, I yeah. think from my from what I saw this morning of how, how this person was posting something out of good intention, as always, as people will say, um, but that the erasure still happens when we say it's not about, let's not make too much of a deal about race right now, um, or let's not make it um, that kind of conversation. What I felt in my body was, oh, you don't know it but you just took an eraser and you were trying mm -hmm. to um, fade me out. I don't think she was trying to say that's not part of it. She was just saying, that's not all of it. And I wish I could, I don't want to, I, I'm preserving my own energy and my own sanity. Um, and I didn't respond to her, but what I wished um, I could say to her without having the backlash of all her followers was to say, um, you are erasing me and my humanity and my ethnicity and why um, I'm reacting in my body right now. So not only are you erasing who I am as a person, you're erasing my pain. So what does it look like to, which I think that's the injustice um, for me this morning. Um, so what does it look like to actually elevate the stories and voices of those who um, are being erased and made invisible yeah. as, as Tasha had shared of being, of having that invisibly cloak placed on them. Not that we wanted that. It was um, someone else put that on us. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're saying that, I'm reminded, I saw similar posts last week and got into it with a few people on Facebook about that very thing. And at least for me and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you just said you're too tired, your body's too weary to reply to that. I mean, I feel like as white people, we need to be speaking up and replying when we see those sort of things. Again, it's it's not the onus on on you to have to be fighting that. So that this is why we're we're on the same team as Christ followers to be speaking up. And when one one body's hurting, the other one needs to step forward and um, and unite and speak out. So, Darina, for you, what does that look like? What what does justice look like for you for your community right now? Do you feel? Well, I appreciate what you shared. I think. Um it starts for me with acknowledgement and that acknowledgement I think needs to happen in a lot of different spaces. It needs to come from the pulpit. It needs to come, you know, in local leadership and city leadership. I live in central California. So I recognize that this also kind of hits all of us differently, depending on where we live, our geographic location, even the diversity within our cities. Um, but we do have a strong Asian American community here in the Central Valley. And yet I don't hear about that unless I would go to an Asian American church. I go to a, a church um, that's probably, it's predominantly white in its leadership and has diversity in the people who attend. And so for me, it is so paramount that we even acknowledge the conversation, which feels pretty basic 
Um, it's not, you know, it's not this very nuanced, hard thing as far as I'm concerned, but I think people are even afraid to acknowledge it because it's complicated um, and because they don't feel comfortable talking about racism and that there might actually be people experiencing that on a daily basis. And I've experienced that, you know, even in my close community of friends, it's, it's something that um, is unspoken. And for me, somebody acknowledging it shows a kind of solidarity. And in the Christian community in the church, I think that's even more important because this isn't just something that should affect Asian Americans. It should affect all of us, right? I mean, we're human. We are image bearers created in God's image. So whether or not these women were involved in something, I don't know all the details of behind the scenes. I don't know, you know, if there was sex trafficking or other things that were going on. But even if there was, let's read our New Testament, Jesus absolutely hung out with women who were in those situations, who were traumatized, who had many husbands. In fact, he elevated them and he asked them to proclaim that he was the Messiah. That's right. And I'm glad you brought that up. That is a hard talking point with this conversation, but what it comes down to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter as far as their worth or value um, if these women were were in a job that maybe is one that's looked down upon, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves them just as much and they are equal in God's eyes and they should be in ours and valued just as much. Um, now, if we want to get into what matters, it matters what, what led them to be in that industry, what faults are in the structural um, racism in our country that got them there. Um, and that's the only reason that we should be looking at that because there are a lot of reasons that women end up in in those because of the injustices serving in the sex industry, whether they were or were not. But I think it's important that you brought that up. So thank you, Darina, and, and for bringing up the church's role, because I want to dive into that a little bit later in this discussion of what do we what do we want specifically from our faith communities? So um, you, you touched on that a little bit, but we're going to go back to that. But Tasha, would you um, want to answer that question? We're having some technical issue, issues with Tasha. So if she cuts in and out... Um, <laughs> Just being honest and real right now, that's why. But Tasha, I'd love if you could answer this question. Um, what does justice look like for you and for your community right now? Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's maybe too soon to answer that, but what you're feeling right now with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, so I didn't hear everything because I kept getting kicked out and coming back in. Um, but I heard Darina say acknowledgement um, and how important that is. Um, and honestly, like, I think I have at some point started to believe that that was too much to ask, Mm -hmm. like just that bare minimum. And I don't believe that now, but there have been times in the past where I felt like I was asking too much um, that even in that acknowledgement, we could not take up space, like that one minute acknowledgement. Um, Now I think, yes, I definitely want that, but that is a bare minimum to me. Um, Like, Honestly, like it, it shouldn't even be a question. And I feel like in too many places it is. I asked this question on Instagram of BIPOC, anyone that wanted to answer about what has made them feel, feel seen and celebrated at church. And um, the answers were, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because I felt a lot of what they said, but um, I think it's the same as this. It's like, you know, we're asking for the bare minimum and it feels like sometimes there's pushback for that. Um, I didn't experience that 
recently, um, I've felt supported um, by my church, but I think the fact that it can feel like too much, or um, we feel like we have to think about what we're going to say to ask for something like that is the bare minimum. Um, it's just really frustrating. So, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm at this point where I would expect there to be that bare minimum and beyond that. I think um, right now, even it just seems like um, we are asked to do way too much explaining and explain why things should matter. Um, and I really, I would love to see people of faith um, learning that themselves and taking, like learning that, that learning that and um, letting it, letting that move them to action um, and not putting it all on us. Like, I don't know, I don't wanna keep having, um, I don't wanna keep being put in positions where we have to educate, you know? Um, not that I'm against that. I think it's important. Um, but I think like Grace said another time, and as like she represents with her whole life, like I just, I think we need to be centered and centered again and centered again and not centered after there's something horrific and only then. So, and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that was great. And I appreciate you saying that. And I even had shared with Michelle, like that was part of my hesitation asking even hers to come on because it's like I don't want to be like oh now I want to share these voices because it fits it fits the schedule and agenda of what's going on because it's way more important than that um so I you know I asked Michelle like what tell me what you need do you want me to direct people your way or so I appreciate you saying that Tasha and we we as white people need to be listening to what what you want and centering you all in this conversation. So I appreciate you saying that. And also at the same time that it's not your job to educate us, resources are out there and we don't need to be coming and exhausting you all more when the resources are there. So Michelle, I'd love to hear from you on this one, especially you can answer both, but it's, it's tied together too, especially from what do you think we need from our faith communities right now? Again, multi-layered because this boy came from the church and you you made a very relevant post about this being such a um, Christian nationalist, American Christian um, thing that, that got him to where he at is. So we're all women of faith and I would just love to hear what your thoughts are on all of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's incredibly important that we understand that he is a self-identified Christian um, and I you know, also say Christian nationalist, um, because, you know, it's very apparent on his social media accounts. He was passionate about God and country, uh, God, country and guns. Um, and you know, when I, like, I want to make it very clear to people that I am very grateful to live in this country and I wouldn't want to live in any other country, but the United States right now. So you can be grateful to live in the United States, but the difference, but there's a difference between being grateful and being, um, exclusionist, uh, or, 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 or racist <laughs> and saying, this is my country and everybody else, uh, needs to get out. And that's, that's in a nutshell, what Christian nationalism is. It's this belief that America is God's chosen country. Um, and it's been, it's been given as a blessing to white Christians uh, and that anybody else, black and brown people, minorities, immigrants, they're coming in as a threat and taking away 
this um, supposed divine blessing uh, to to a select few. And so there's this uh, mentality of scarcity, right? That we have this limited amount of resources uh, and, and everybody coming in is a threat to those resources. And this is where xenophobia comes in. This is um, Christian nationalists are the first to support the border wall and Blue Lives Matter. And, you know, they were the ones also perpetuating the, the Chinese virus and, and things like that. And so um, that's what I mean by Christian nationalist. Um, but I think it was very disheartening to see his own church, uh, the Shooter's Church, uh, Crabapple Tree Baptist Church, put out this statement, which on a first level sounds great, right? Like we're denouncing this shooting, but it was also very much just focused on him as an individual. Um, it was, it very much was like, this doesn't make sense because this doesn't uh, represent his faith and confession in Jesus. And then also the church didn't take any responsibility to say like, we are at fault here. Um, and so I think it's important to understand that uh, Robert Aaron Long is not an anomaly, that Christians uh, throughout history, not just U.S. history, but the, you know, global history have perpetuated racism against others. Um, you know, all, I mean, you can all the way go back to the Crusades, even during the Reformation, uh, the, the, the sort of racism that Christians perpetuate against Jews and Muslims and others um, is a long and ugly history. And so we as a church need to confess uh, our own failures to disciple our congregants out of Christian nationalism. Uh, and we as a church need to also confess the ways that we have failed to disciple our people to not dehumanize women and minorities. Um, you know, we, we put out a statement last year with AACC uh, that called upon pastors and churches to preach against racism from the pulpit. And that's still important. And and more pastors should. It was it was so sad to see so many Asian-American brothers and sisters heartbroken after like by Sunday afternoon. So many pastors did not talk about the Atlanta massacre. And I think a lot of um you know, there was a hashtag like leave loud. I think there was a lot of Asian Americans that left their churches because of that. So they have to preach uh, against racism from the pulpit. They have to talk about the Atlanta massacre. But the other side of the coin is whole life discipleship, you know, and we do not do a good job at race and gender conscious discipleship where we um, not only tear down these idols of nationalism, misogyny, racism, but we really educate our people uh, week in and week out. And right now the, the church needs to do a better job at educating their, their congregants to Asian American issues and, and anti-Asian bias and specifically the exotifying of Asian women. Um, I think about how many movies I've watched where the Asian woman is always um, sexualized, exotified, um, you know, and, and we just, it's become so normalized uh, and, and uh, we need to call that out. The church needs to call that out. Um, and, and one of the ways they do it is by changing leadership in the church. We need to empower and hire Asian American women and men uh, as, as, as pastors, as ministry leaders, um, particularly racially conscious Asian American men and women, because look, not, not every person is racially conscious. And if you just hire you know, an Asian who doesn't understand the history of racism in America, this leads to tokenism. So um, you cannot have, I know this will make some people upset, but you cannot have a white pastor um, trying to lead it, his congregation 
to uh, honoring, centering, discipling his congregants to to a deeper understanding of Asian American experience. You need an Asian American pastor to do that. So if you don't have one, hire one. <laughs> um, huh. And so those are, I think, that's just scratching the surface. But this is this is what a reckoning and um, uh, you know, a, a healing path moving forward looks like, I think, for, for the church. I'll also add to that, um, you know, I think of my friends in the Midwest where they are in a community that's all white. So, um, or even in the publishing industry that is very white. Um, and when companies, churches start to, um, in essence, freak out a little bit, or they're trying to do the right thing right after something happens. And they're like, their first reaction is one, we need to put out a statement. One uh, second, we need to see like how we can hire someone of color. Um, So this is not pushback to what Michelle is saying. I'm, I think it, there is a nuance to it that needs to happen because what happens is let's say a person of color does get hired, but they're in an all white community that is not safe for that person of color who's racially conscious and they don't have people who look like them um, either on leadership or in the congregation or in your workplace. And so I I think one of the the beauties of this current moment when we're in pandemic and we can't necessarily, or we shouldn't be traveling all over the place and going going to places and speaking at churches in person per se. Um, now that the vaccine is out, I know there's there's nuances even then. I will say one of the, the gifts of right now is that we are doing church online. So if you have not had, you know, a woman speaker, an Asian American woman speaker, this is a time to do it because we don't need to travel. We can record something. We can send it to you. It, it feels safer as an Asian American woman who sometimes does get invited to white spaces. I've generally said no, because I know that physically it it doesn't feel safe for me to be emotionally, mentally, it doesn't feel safe for me to enter into those spaces. But right now there is the possibility of doing that without having the, the, the wave of overwhelm that comes of being in an unsafe space for me. Um, So I will say that I think, yes, we need to hire, but we need to like, we need to dig through all the nuances of that and like, how can we provide a space that's actually safe um, for our employees of color um, or our pastors, um, leaders, directors, um, writers in a way that doesn't just benefit the organization, right? Cause they're doing their part because that is tokenism, but that it is centering again, the person of color who's coming in and um, being part of the work. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you, Grace. Tasha or Dorina, do you want to add on to that as far as either what Grace or Michelle said or with just what what do you want and need from the faith community right now? I can just try to add one thing. I love um, everything that Michelle and Grace just shared. Um, But I think a part of centering and I think something that gets missed a lot is that I think that um, a lot of times the majority white spaces, majority white churches, they think or the, the, the thought is, oh, I'm so sad that this is happening and that there is good intention and good heart heartbreak um, that should be happening, but that in response, it feels like a lot of people think they're doing us a favor. But I think more than that, I think what we need is for them to realize that they're missing um, a huge reflection of the gospel, um, a huge reflection of 
God himself in the Asian American community. And so um, I think sometimes I wish I would feel that a little bit more from my faith community, um, from faith communities um, locally and elsewhere, just that they realize um, that it's not just like, a, oh, I'm so sorry, um, but that they're lacking when it's a, a space that is white centered. So I just often, I, I rarely hear that. So I hear a lot of, um, I'm sorry and want to do better. And that's great. There's a place for that. But I think realizing that, um, that they're missing a lot um, without us. Um, and just as we are without other, you know, without our black and brown and white um, brothers and sisters. Um, but I think that it's usually harder in white centered spaces to, to feel that or to even realize that there's a need, that they have that need too, so. Drina, did you want to add anything? Well, I love what Grace shared too, and just building an awareness that when you're inviting a person of color into leadership, which is absolutely important to understand that there's a gravity and a weight for that person coming in. And it's not, I mean, I love how Tasha brought that up. It's not just, I'm doing you a favor kind of attitude, but first of all, acknowledging you have something rich and beautiful to bring to the table and this might be hard for you to be at the table yes, yes. and having a care and a concern for that. I mean, I have been the only woman of color, sometimes the only woman at a table many times in church leadership and the toll that that takes on my body and me emotionally, the courage that it requires to come to the table is something I would never talk about with people, but I would always feel as I was exiting the space. And, you know, just a message to any women of color who might be listening to this conversation is to find those spaces that are safe to absolutely seek out places where you can talk about that. Because if we hold it all in our bodies, I mean, this is what I'm so passionate about with grief is that if we hold our grief all the time, it will wreck us. If we don't have healthy ways to express our grief and to lean into it and to bring it to Jesus' feet, then we will be harmed in our bodies. And so we need to find those spaces. For me as an author and a writer, um, I didn't realize it until a couple of years ago when I went to a publishing in color conference. And I was in a room with 100% people of color who were, besides the editors and publishers who were there to speak with us, and I didn't realize how impactful that would be for me, even mm -hmm. physically. It was like I could breathe. I had been on panels speaking at conferences or attending conferences for years where I had to bring a hidden version of myself or I had to look around the room and say, oh, there's a black person here. I'm going to go sit by them mm -hmm. so that I don't feel alone. That's something I've done for years and didn't yeah. realize. And so I think that's more of the nuance. It's not just inviting a person of color to be on your board or on your table or, you know, to, to share one of their stories on a Sunday morning, but to actually think about, well, how can we integrate this? Mm. How can we join forces? How can we learn from that person? Not just, you know, a little soundbite for the, for the week. Right. I'll also right. add, you know, I think that the danger of thinking like we're doing you a favor is that then it falls under what we've often termed as mercy ministry. So we use that, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary's kid. So I have been both on the recipient end of mercy, other people's, you know, secondhand goods. And, um, you know, because they should be grateful that 
we're sending them even these things, right? Uh, but and I have also perpetuated that idea of like, we are the saviors who are going into marginalized communities or um, poorer communities, and we're going to change their lives. You know, we're going to do this VBS, and it's it's going to be amazing, and they're going to be so grateful. They ought to be. I don't think we often sit and think the impact of of our the way we view things, right? So how we do how we approach these kinds of conversations, or when we do have someone at our church or inviting our church, I think we oftentimes we'll pat ourselves on the back and say like, you know what, we're being part of the conversation. Uh, we're being aware. Look, even though we're not saying, look, look at us people. I think we're saying that to ourselves, like, okay, we're doing our part, but I, I want to call out that there is a danger to, to thinking like um, we're doing them a favor because it will become a savioristic attempt that is not reflective of, of, of what the kingdom is supposed to be, which is what Tasha is saying. You are missing out when you don't have our voices, you don't know. So you should be aware um, of yourselves and of the community and culture that you have created within your church communities, faith communities. So good and powerful. Thank you, Grace, for saying that. For the sake of time, ladies, we're going to have one more, one more question. I don't want to hurry you at all, but I'm going to kind of combine this. And I think I mentioned earlier that Michelle, you helped get a list of questions that would be powerful and that these ladies would be willing to talk about. So one of them was, do you feel seen and heard right now? So answer that. And if you feel led to, and then also if there's anything else that you'd like to say, and like I said, for the sake of time, I would, I would drag that on longer, but start with, if you feel seen and heard, but I also think <laughs> that's hard because yeah, you might feel more seen and heard this week, but I'm, I'm wondering or questioning, do you have this fear that, well, this time next month that'll wear off and our voices won't be, won't be centered. So however you want to go with that, but then also if there's anything else that you'd like to share with that. I'll answer. Um, okay. Thanks Grace. You know, one of the most meaningful texts I got this past week um, was from a Korean American brother a pastor up in Seattle. And it was, it was his text of saying, I see you mm -hmm. and the particular pain you are carrying at this moment, because you are an Asian American sister. Um, and I think that was the text that broke me. Everyone else was saying, you know, I'm sorry, this is happening to you. You know, I, I see you, I'm standing with you. And those meant something too, but his felt like, Oh, you really do see, you, you see the intersectionalities of why this is particularly painful um, for us at this moment in time. And also how much we have not been seen and heard in the past. And so for him to call that out, recognize that and offer um, his words, that meant a lot to me of truly being seen and heard without having to explain myself. Darina, how about you, if you feel like you want to answer that question? Honestly, this question is really hard for me. I, <laughs> I was thinking about it and I realized that there are spaces where I do feel seen and there are spaces where I don't. And so it's not a, an either or. I think the word that I would like to encourage listeners with is just that it's not too late to reach out to somebody in a personal way. And I think that um, 
I think that personal touch, like Grace, you described this text from a brother like that, I think is such a beautiful example. And we're in a time where we have to text because we can't visit people in person perhaps, but just being able to reach out to someone in a personal way, I think is where it needs to start. I feel concerned when everything that we do is in a public space or a social media space, um, because it also means that you are caring for me other people are seeing and then we get mixed up into you know all of this like oh okay people are seeing that i'm i'm compassionate <laughs> instead of like the true compassion that can come behind the scenes and again that's exactly who jesus was he didn't he didn't try to care for people in public. He went out of his way to do that in a personal way first. And so I don't mean to speak against, you know, sharing these things on social media or to share them in a public way. But I think first we have to reach out to people who are in our community, who are in our circles and do that just very tenderly mm-hmm. and to ask those questions and to recognize those things before we go into the, now I'm going to post on Instagram about how much this infuriates me. Yeah, Um, I've seen a lot of that this week and it's difficult for me to even say that out loud because I tend to be more of an optimistic person and I want to be encouraging in this regard, but I also feel like I have um, a low tolerance for that sort of posturing. So I know for myself in the way that I'm wired that I needed to grieve this thing quietly first with a few of my people that I know really get it. And so I received a text actually from two dear friends who are white women who know how this has affected me and my body. And that meant the world to me and actually gave me courage and confidence to post about it more publicly because I realized that that was also an invitation for others to have that conversation with me. So I'll say Uh, something that will probably just make everybody mad, (laughs) but hopefully can be encouraging too, because I, I think what's interesting and I think what uh, Darina, Grace, and Tasha are just mentioning as well as the the range of reactions from from both friends and community at large um, this past week. And I think it's been difficult for me to have conversations with both people that are like in the more conservative camp and also people who are in the more progressive camp. And uh, I say this is true for both Asian American fellow Asian American Christians, but also just people at large, right? That. Um, oftentimes conservatives, conservative Christians, um, there is this lack of racial consciousness. And so, you know, just talking about the Atlanta massacre and just talking about grieving or wanting to respond in some way, talk about civic engagement, um, even talking about anger and, and grief and trauma, like it just, it just, uh, there's this knee jerk reaction to all of it. Right. And, 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 um, you know, I think some of us are so tired of hearing, um, our, our beloved conservative brothers and sisters talking about, let's just focus on the gospel and, you know, we just got to be quiet and pray and, or, you know, a lot of conservatives are saying this is not racially motivated. You know, um, the problems are elsewhere. He just had a sex addiction, which, um, as we've talked about, it's so interconnected. You can't dissect, the misogyny from the racism, for example. And so I think on the one hand, 
so so this is my long way of saying there's been a lot of people that I haven't feel seen and understood uh, by and and I think in part it's because for conservatives I'm longing for for uh, my brothers and sisters to grow in their racial consciousness you know and to understand why this is real why this matters how the gospel actually speaks into this and then from progressive brothers and sisters uh, both fellow Asian American uh, Christians and beyond I think there is oftentimes this um, this 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 pushback and i just see this this tendency to not play nicely <laughs> across <laughs> different uh, teams if you will um and you know if you're not saying what i'm saying then i'm going to i'm going to disagree with you or i'm going to give you pushback or i'm going to criticize you both uh, privately and, and and publicly and i don't understand where that goes either in terms of solidarity in terms of caring for each other um, that's just dividing us and, and doing exactly what white supremacy wants to do, which is have us competing and, and talking about, well, who's doing it better, who's organizing better, who's speaking better, uh, who's more inclusive. And I don't understand that fight either. And so if anything, what I'm saying is I also just want to give an invitation to wherever people are, whether they're conservative, what they call themselves conservative, progressive, you know, whatever, or, or something in between. I, I feel like I don't fit into either of those camps. But now is a moment to be listening to each other, uh, linking arms with each other, seeing how we can support and care uh, for each other, as opposed to um, pushing away, rejecting, competing, um, because I've seen a lot of that this last week, too. And um, in, the, in the midst of like trying to care for ourselves, trying to care for each other, trying to speak up about the event, and then dealing with all of that. <laughs> that's exhausting. That's like another layer of exhaustion. So I don't want to end on a low note. I see a lot of good and beauty happening in the body of Christ right now, but that's just an invitation that uh, there's, there's more we can grow in. Thank you for that. And I don't think it's a low note. I think it's an honest note and something that needs to be said. And every part of this conversation is very nuanced. So that needs to be said, what you just said, Michelle. So thank you. We'll end with the words from you, Darina, and we will link up this post that you wrote as well. My flourishing depends on the flourishing of my brothers and sisters, my neighbors, family, and friends. If someone lashes out against a black sister because of the color of her skin, we all suffer. If someone treats a Latina sister as less than, we all hurt. If someone overlooks an indigenous sister, we all miss out. If someone attacks an Asian American elder, we all grieve because an image bearer of God has been struck down. When racism is expressed in the world, we all need to be affected. Racism does not just affect individuals, it affects all communities. We are created as interdependent beings. We cannot flourish in isolation. We can only flourish together in community. Thank you. And thank you all for being here and sharing. I'm just very grateful for each of you and giving this time and your voice at a time that you're already, your bodies are already tired and feeling the weight of everything. So thank you each. Thank you for listening in on this sacred conversation. If you don't often go to the episode show notes, I encourage you to check out the ones for this episode in particular. There you'll find links to more of the writings and blogs created by these women, and you can read the rest of Grace and Darina's powerful words they shared in this episode. Tasha also has a powerful piece she authored called Yellow is a Protest, and that link's also shared in the show notes. Finally, in the show notes, you'll find the AACC statement on the Atlanta massacre and ongoing anti-Asian hate. 
I'm inviting any and all of my listeners who stand in solidarity with my guests in the Asian American community to read and sign this statement and to share it in your own personal and organizational networks. Thank you.